I'm going to read this first part because I, I couldn't remember to say all the words I need to say. You're invited to get out your Bible or Bible app and go to today's reading from the book, uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Bibles are available on the back of the chairs, and they are free for taking if anyone needs one. And now today's scripture reading, Mark 1, 4 through 11, the baptism of Jesus. So John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In the whole Judean region and all of the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to I've always thought that the church is a great place to raise your kids. <laughs> At least that's been my experience, to have so many surrogate aunts and uncles. I could just pass the kids along and know that they're in good hands. Well, grace and peace to you, beloved, once more. My name is Amy Wilson-Feltz, and I am the pastor here at Morningstar. And because I was holding that cute baby, I don't have all of my cues up yet, so let me get that done. Here at Morningstar, when we worship together, we are here to learn scripture. So I invite you to get your Bibles out, either your own Bibles or the Bibles that are in the backs of the pews in front of you. I do have a youth word of the day that I have been given. The youth also have these Sunday notes sheets that are available. And the, they're actually available in the back of the sanctuary right now. If you want to take notes, whether you consider yourself to be young or not, you're welcome to have one of these Sunday notes sheets so that you can take notes as we go along, and then I have this word, sort of like with the kids, if I can work this word into the sermon, then I get to keep my dollar. If I can't, then Shannon gets the dollar, right? Is the word from you, Shannon? Okay. All right. So, in your Bibles, go ahead and leave Mark 1 open. You might want to go ahead and take a sticky note and just tab Luke 1 as well. Mark 1, Luke 1, and John 1. Mark, Luke, and John. So you have more time to find those. 
Let's take a deep breath. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A few months ago, our four-year-old Olivia came bouncing into the kitchen when I was preparing a meal. Mom, she said, Augie and Natalie are going to baptize me. (laughs) Say what now? I said to her, as I thought to myself, when did the older kids become baptizers? Have they been reading the, the New Testament again? Our text for today opens not with the story of Jesus' birth, but with his baptism, which is a kind of birth in and of itself. In the first chapter of Mark, we meet John the baptizer, Jesus of Nazareth, and the Holy Spirit, who falls upon Jesus like a dove. Today is known as Baptism of Our Lord Sunday. So on the heels of Christmas and Epiphany, we turn now to the work of the adult Jesus as we make our way toward Lent and Easter. But before we get to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we witness an important transition in leadership, at least in the Gospel of Mark. You see, People knew about John, and Jesus was coming on the scene, and it was beginning to be a sort of competition between the two, at least in the eyes of some. So we begin with John the Baptist. We've met him before, but in the Gospel of Luke. So go ahead and turn, as I asked you, to Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke chapter 1. So the first chapter of Luke, you may remember, is pretty famous for the visit of the angel Gabriel to Mary to announce the birth of Jesus. It's famous for Mary's own song of liberation. It is famous for Mary's visit to her cousin Elizabeth. But before all of that, before all of that, the birth of Elizabeth's child is foretold to his father, Zechariah, a priest. And that's what's happening in this part of Luke 1. So Luke 1, verses 13 through 17. And it doesn't matter which translation you're reading. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to their God. And with the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I would suggest that you highlight the phrase to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It speaks to John's purpose even before he is born. This announcement to Zechariah sets John up to be that voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord as foretold by the prophet Isaiah. 
But Isaiah is not the only one who talks about John. And so I ask you to mark John chapter 1 as well. So go ahead and turn to John chapter 1. Again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 1. The book of John is another version of the gospel that does not begin with a birth narrative. The book of John then instead begins with the baptism of Jesus. And just six verses in, we meet John the Baptist. So let's read verses 6 through 9 of John chapter 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. I encourage you to highlight that phrase, but he came to testify to the light. He came to testify. This statement reinforces what we find in Mark 1. So as we read this morning, as as Steve read this morning, John is a well-known, rather strange personality in Jerusalem and all of Judea. His preaching is about repentance and forgiveness. He's wearing camel hair and leather and eating honey and locust. He's dipping people into the water in the Jordan River to the point that he has become known as John the Baptizer. And the people are flocking to him. They're flocking to him to confess their sin and be baptized. It might seem a little strange maybe even a bit fanatical to us, but all of these details in Mark would have meant something to the people of God at the time. Baptism would have been associated with a ritual cleansing before worshiping in the temple, for example, for the general human condition of being unholy. John's words about repentance and forgiveness would have resonated with the people's experiences of ritual sacrifices to atone for the specific acts that would have been considered to be sinful. And his lifestyle, his clothing, his dietary habits, coupled with his words and his actions, would have signified to the people that John was a man of God, a prophet in the line of Elijah, as was foretold to his parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And John himself confirms all of this as he says in our passage for today there's one who is more powerful than I coming after me and I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit this proclamation reinforces the angel's words to Mary about Elizabeth's pregnancy that the birth of John would be a sign of the one who would come to prepare the way of Jesus. And in the baptism of Jesus, John not only prepares the way for the ministry of Jesus, but for the people's recognition of the Holy Spirit. We often tie the arrival of the Holy Spirit to the festival of Pentecost as described in the book of Acts. And it's a really important story, but we actually meet the Holy Spirit long before that. In the second verse, of the first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, of Genesis, where the Spirit of God is described as hovering. And throughout Scripture, in both Old and New Testaments, the Spirit of God is described as wind, breath, fire, water, 
oil, and a cloud. A mighty wind blows through the crowd at Pentecost. The creator breathes life into humanity. Moses meets God in a burning bush. Isaiah describes the spirit as being poured out as water over the people of God. Jesus reads the scroll of Isaiah describing the work of the Holy Spirit as an anointing of oil. And the spirit led the people through the wilderness, guiding them as a cloud by day. But let's not forget the dove. An image of the Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism given in three of the gospel accounts. And do you remember the story of Noah and the ark that we just talked about with the kids? After the rains came down and the floods came up and the rains stopped, scripture tells us that a wind blew over the earth and the water subsided. And then Noah sent a dove to search for dry land. Three times he sent a dove. And the first time the dove came back bringing no sign that dry land was visible. The second time, the dove returned with an olive branch. The third time, the dove did not come back at all. And that final flight of the dove served as a sign for Noah that it was time to open the ark and reestablish life on land. New life. It's that same kind of new life in the spirit that John the Baptist is talking about, the point being made even more clear in Jesus' own baptism. So I hope you still have Mark, marked, Mark chapter 1. Steve read these for us, but I want to read once more Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, keeping in mind everything we've talked about this morning. nice to hear those pages turning. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from the heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. You might highlight that phrase, like a dove. And for a more modern interpretation, you could take a look at Angie's favorite picture here. <laughs> but in all seriousness, <laughs> what we see in this scene is the work of God in the baptism of Jesus. The takeaway from this exchange is not about the power of any one person to baptize or even the willingness of a person to be baptized. And while they skipped right over the role of an ordained minister or a licensed pastor in our tradition to perform baptisms, my older children did get a lot right in their foiled scheme to baptize their sister. The primary actor in baptism is God. That's the point. And in our tradition, baptism is a means of grace, literally a mean by which we experience the grace of God. But baptism is also one of only two sacraments, meaning an outward sign of God's inward grace that was instituted in practice by Jesus himself. The sign of God's action in baptism is water, and it does not matter how much. 
It's not the amount of water that matters, but the work of God's grace in a person's life, leading them to acknowledge their identity as a child of God in a public way. In truth, baptism is a recognition that God has already claimed us as the children of God and a promise to live in such a way to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. Baptism is a recognition that God has already claimed us as the children of God, but it's also a promise that we will live in a way to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. And that's why John was talking about repentance and forgiveness. I mean, repentance and forgiveness and sin. It's a wonder that people were drawn to him. These are not fun things to talk about. Sin is a turning away from God, a decision to go our own way as if we know better. Repentance is a turning around. It's a 180-degree change, not just in the way we act, but also in the way that we think. Forgiveness is a newfound freedom. It's living free from the bondage of guilty feelings and wrong actions, not because of an empty apology, but because things have been made right, been made whole again. But we often get the order wrong. We think forgiveness comes after we name our sin and ask for forgiveness and then repent. Now, don't get me wrong, it's important for us to be honest with ourselves and with others so that we can make things right. That's the only way that broken relationships can be repaired. Please hear me say, forgiveness is already ours. Forgiveness is already ours. It's the work of Jesus, and it's already done. That's what his stepping out of the grave means for us. It does not mean that we get a free pass to do whatever we want whenever we want. It just means that the repentance and the forgiveness that we experience in our human relationships is enabled by the forgiveness that we already have in Jesus. They are signs of new life, of the Holy Spirit's work in us. Again, baptism is a work of God, and it marks a new way of living for us, a way that is enabled by the Spirit. And that's what we see in Jesus' own baptism as the heavens open and the dove descends, and the voice of God is heard claiming Jesus as the Son of God, saying words that we all long to hear in this life. I am well pleased. This is the truth that I pray that you will grasp today on this baptism of our Lord Sunday and that you will cling to throughout the year. God is pleased with you. Right now, just as you are, God is pleased with you. God is pleased with you as the Holy Spirit continues to walk with you and work within you, enabling you to live more like Jesus. And to remember this truth, I have a gift for you today. It's a tiny little dove. You can hold it in your hand. You can keep it in your purse or in your wallet or in your prayer space. And today it will serve as part of our remembrance of baptism. So during the sacrament of Holy Communion, if you're here in the sanctuary, you'll be invited to come forward and dip your hand in the water and make the sign of the cross on your forehead. And I will hand you a dove and I will remind you that God is pleased with you. And if you are worshiping at home, any bowl of water will do. And the words are true even without the dove. If you have never been baptized, you are welcome to participate in these gestures. This is not baptism in and of itself. It's a remembrance that we are the children of God and the Holy Spirit is at work in us. 
But if you want to be baptized today or any other day, just talk to me today or after the service, and we will make that happen. But there's no pressure because the love of God is already yours. The forgiveness of Jesus is already yours. And wherever you go, the Spirit is with you like a dove. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we are grateful for your presence in our lives. We are grateful for the movement of the Holy Spirit. We are grateful with you. Life is not a competition. We are grateful for your invitation to live in a way that invites people to see your work in our lives and draws them into relationship with you for themselves. Remind us today that we are yours, that you love us dearly, and that you are pleased with us today and every day. Amen.